Uh, I'm, not, I'm actually not in Matthew this morning. So um, the fourth Sunday of Advent, there's some discussion on this, if you will, opinion. But typically the fourth Sunday of Advent is the focus of that, the last Sunday is the, the, the theme of love, if you will. Um, now, we read scriptures last week for our Advent reading. If you were kind of following along, we were reading passages last week that were focused on love. So we've maybe mixed it up a little bit. Um, but I, I felt this morning that uh, I wanted to, to focus on love um, for the message this morning. Um, and, and so... And then coming into the new year, so this, this is kind of a standalone, and then in the new year, um, we're going to go into a three-part series in January. We're going to actually uh, focus on three weeks on the Holy Spirit, the person, the work, and the presence of the Holy Spirit um, in, in, our, in our midst, and then we're going to go into something else. So I'm, really, I'm really excited about where we're going uh, in the new year uh, as far as what we're focusing on in our preaching. So, uh, but today I want to... I wanna, talk about this, this thing of, of God's love. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're coming to the end. Like, if you, if you go back and you, you look at 2022, and, and I caught myself actually sort of, um, not on purpose, I was, I was looking for something in my photos, and I was just scrolling through just the tons, like I have tons of photos on my phone from this last year. And, and you know, there's things that you, you see photos, like, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. And you know it's it's been a it's been a really intense and event, eventful year, has it not? Like if you go back to the beginning of last year, this has been quite the year. And I, and I think it's fair to say too that that collectively, we feel that there's a shifting that's that's happening all around us. Not not just in 2022, but that that the world is changing dramatically. That that there's something about this time that we're in right now, whether it's societal norms, cultural pressures, you know, we're, we're, we're in the midst still of, of serious geopolitical battles that are, that are waging all around us. There, there's, I don't know if I'd say unprecedented, but there's a ton of financial instability right now, not, probably not unprecedented. Um, but, you know, a lot of the things that are right now coming together, I think we would say this moment in time feels different in some respects. And not, not in every respect, but in some. Now, amidst that, so amidst all that that's going on, we, we have this celebration of Advent right now, this, this coming of Jesus, celebrating his coming into our world. And it's this, this thing of Advent that reminds us of our need and the rescue plan that God initiated for us. You know, an Advent really is about promises Advent is about covenant. It, it really is about covenant. It's about God entering our world to deal with this fractured situation that we call life. Advent is this story of, of God coming close and choosing to enter our brokenness and inviting us to live a different way. A new way. And you know, you might ask, I, I certainly have asked this at times, why would God do this? Like, just given the evil, given the wickedness, given the depravity that, that encompasses so much of the world, given the inconsistencies of our own hearts that we know reside there, perhaps you wonder at times, like, why, why would God even 
bother. And in answer to that, Scripture tells us it's simply because of his love. Scripture doesn't just say that God extends us love or shows us love. He does. It does say that, right? But, but Scripture says God is love. He, he, the very nature of God is love. Ultimately, the reason all of this, Christmas, all this stuff that we do, all the traditions that we have, all the things that we look forward to, it's because God so loved the world. And so I want to I begin this morning with a statement. This happens to be my title this morning, too. And, and I actually, I kind of, it's in the weekly email, so I kind of ruined it, but that's okay. And I, because I expect this title is well known to us. And, and I'm going to be audacious even and claim that this is essential theology, essential theology for every single follower of Jesus. And that is this. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And that I, I, I purposely squished the words this morning in that title. Everything is squished in these slides because I want it to actually represent this thing of you cannot be separated from this love. But I, I think for a multitude of reasons, we struggle to really believe this. I, I think many of us, if we were to right now open and lay our hearts bare, would go, I, I struggle with aspects of this. To really believe this and to really live from this truth. And so I want to explore the question, why can we believe this? How, how can we be so sure that this is true for every single one of us, for the entirety of our lives, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? And so I want to I work this back a little bit, if you will. This is, this is the end, if you will. The end is nothing can separate you from God's love. But why? How can I believe this? So let's work this back. And I, I want to show us how we can have such unbelievable confidence from Scripture that this is true. So the first point is, why can we believe this? Because love is at the core of God's nature. And, and another, another way to try and explain this is that it's part of the very essence of God. The very essence of God is love. Now, here's the problem, though. Love, in our culture, is a very ambiguous word. Like, incredibly ambiguous. And, and in our language and culture, the, the scope of its meaning is vast. The result, and, and as a result, because love as a word, is not well-defined. It's become this huge, vast thing of so many things to so many people. So take the love armband controversy at the World Cup. Any of you heard of that? What was, anyone? What was going on? <laughs> there's, there's, a, I'm, there's, there's no soccer fans here? Sorry, football. Football, real football fans. Anyways, there was this love armband controversy at the beginning of the World Cup where uh, some of the European teams, they were going to wear this rainbow-colored armband with love uh, written on it. And they were going to wear it as a... They were, they were basically protesting 
some of the stuff that had been going on in Qatar, some of the laws of Qatar, and some of their, um, where they weren't being inclusive and they weren't, they weren't welcoming diversity, and, and their treatment of people. And, and some of it justified. I mean, some of the, the human rights abuses there are, are horrible. I mean, it's, it's well documented. Not, not surprisingly, right, this, this armband protest was not well received by the host nation. And it kicked up a lot of stuff. So what we had, like, besides highlighting the, the clash between Western uh, ideologies, if you will, and differing cultural norms, it rev this thing, this, this controversy revealed how differently we view love. Because if you asked people, of the Qatari people, they wouldn't say that they don't love. They, they wouldn't actually, they wouldn't, they, they would say, no, of course we love. But we have a very different definition of what that looks like. So, when we speak of God's love and its essence, how we understand it is crucial. And so I want to I look this morning, I want to begin by looking at Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. And... Um, I'm going I'm to admit, too, that, you know, I was thinking about this message about love, and as I was thinking about it and kind of trying to get some shape to it, sort of uh, surprisingly, I got uh, this new book that we have in our library, God Has a Name, by John Mark Comer. I encountered it, and so some of the stuff he said in there has made its way into my message because it's profound, like really profound, and I was really struck by it. So... Context for Exodus 34. After the whole, so, so we've got the whole golden calf incident, right, that happens. Moses is up on the mountain, comes down, and the people and Aaron have, have they've fashioned this golden calf that they're worshiping. Moses gets angry, righteous anger, throws down the, command, the, the, ta the two tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments are on, smashes them. And in, in all this, Exodus 33 records Moses in conversation with God. And Moses asks God there, he says, show me your glory. And God responds, he says, he calls Moses back up Mount Sinai to chisel out these two stone tablets that God actually is going to write the commandments on. That's another really interesting little tidbit in Exodus, that it's God who wrote on the stone. So he calls him up, and this is, this is the context now for Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. So it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now we're not, we're not going to go into all of this this morning. Uh, we, we could spend hours just looking and unpacking the depths of what we just read here. And, and we could, you know, we could get into the technical details of the text and we could immerse ourselves in, in just the incredible theology 
contained in these verses. We could, we could pull apart the Hebrew language. And it's, it is, it's, it's fascinating. Like it's, it's truly fascinating stuff. But we'll keep it simple. I want to keep it simple for this morning. And that is this. This is God revealing himself to us. This, is, this revelation of, of God's nature that we read of here, that, that God announces to Moses, it's woven throughout Scripture. Like, it's, it's, it's actually everywhere. You find it in Jeremiah. You find it in Joel. You find it in Micah. You find it in Nehemiah. If, if you look, if you're looking, you will see these words or parts of these words about who God is just all throughout your Bibles. They're, they're everywhere. So Old Testament scholars, they've, they've called this the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. This is an, an interesting thought. Right? Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, he calls this the John 3.16 of the, the Hebrew Bible. Or as John Mark Comer says, this is ground zero for a theology of God. This, this is God declaring who he is. This is, this is the very character of God being told. This is, this is God saying, I am abounding in love and faithfulness. I am maintaining love to thousands. But then, back to this pertinent question. How do we understand this love? This, this love that is spoken of here what is this? So the Hebrew words here for love and faithfulness are hased and amet. And this is, this is the one problem we have. There is no English equivalent in, in our language that encompasses hased. This is why when you look at all the various translations and you look at this passage, you will find a multitude of different ways to communicate what this hased means. Hebrew scholar Daniel Block, he speaks of hased being a covenantal term. It's wrapping itself up in all the positive attributes of God. And the word amet, for faithfulness, it, it means truth. So it, it, it's speaking here of God's trustworthiness. It's, it's revealing. It's the, the very character of God here that speaks to his inherent faithfulness. And, and there's, there's a couple really important literary devices. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to get too far into this, and I don't, like, this isn't, you know, to get too technical, but it's, it's really, really important for us to see that it's, it's not an accident that we read back to back here of God's love and faithfulness, followed by he maintains love to thousands. Because this is intentional repetition on the point of God. What we're meant to see, it's, it's like when Jesus says in, in the Gospels again, truly, truly. It's Jesus in the Gospels saying, I really want you to see that this is truth. Truly, truly, I tell you. God is saying here, I want you to see that this thing of my love is really, really true. It, it's who I am. And his love and his faithfulness are intricately connected. It's as if he's saying, my love is my faithfulness, and my faithfulness is my love. It's this, this thing of covenant. 
It's this thing of God's promise. It's the story of God's said and his amet to Abraham. It's the character of God that flows through his relationship to us. That he is inherently full of hased and amet. So the closest thing that we have to understand this is marriage. Marriage is ultimately, biblically, it's a covenant between two people to love and faithfulness. It's, it's a promise that includes legal responsibility. It's this thing of covenant. And in God's case, because, see, here's, here's the thing, right? We, it, we struggle with that because of how abused marriage is and how hurt so many people have been by marriage. And so we struggle with this thing of how do we understand this covenant? But in God's case, he is utterly and eternally faithful to his covenant to us. The book of, of Micah ends by, by pointing us back to God's said and met as an eternal covenant. This is what this is this is how the, this is extraordinary. Because if, if you read through Micah, and I and I I just finished reading through Micah, so I've been reading through Micah this week, and and I've and I've I've been struck by some of the stuff in Micah, and this is how Micah ends: You will be faithful to Jacob, and show love to Abraham, as you pledged on oath. That's covenant as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Isn't, isn't that a striking end to a, a book? Now, here's the thing. I, I think we struggle, at least I do, because we live in a world that is really polar opposite to all of this. We, we, what we actually live and experience all the time in a variety of ways is faithlessness. Truth is relative. It's, it's dependent on whether it's, it's, it's advantageous to an individual to further their objectives or not. So they may or they may not be totally truthful. We, we live and breathe in a culture now where it's just all sort of relative and it's all sort of mixed up. There's, there's my truth, there's your truth, there's half-truths, etc. Right? It's, it's sort of like we're back to what is truth. And here's the thing, too. Here's a newsflash. People lie all the time. Do you realize that? Do you encounter that? People lie all the time. Like, a lot. And in churches, too. I know. So, so we, we struggle. How can God be so good? How can he be so entirely and inherently good? Like, is it really true that nothing can separate me from God's love? Is that really true? Why can we believe in God's said and met? And, and the, so the second reason is, because Jesus is love manifested in the flesh. So the beginning of John's gospel, there's this, this incredible um, introduction in John's gospel, if you will. And in John 1.14, he says, 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us full of grace and truth. And it's hard to see in our English translations, but this is straight out of Exodus 34. John 1.14 is basically Exodus 34, part of Exodus 34. So when he says he made his dwelling, that literally means that Jesus pitched his tent amongst us. He's, what John is drawing us back to is the tabernacle at the base of Mount Sinai where God's presence dwelt and where the people went to meet with God. And John is saying, Jesus is that. Jesus is actually tabernacling with us. He pitched his tent. He's here with us. This is God in the flesh. And then he goes on and he says he's full of grace and truth. That, is, that, those, that wording is actually love and faithfulness. It's actually hased and emet. What happens is it gets lost in the translation from the Hebrew to the Greek to the English. But we're actually talking here about Jesus is full of hased and emet. John is, is proclaiming at the very beginning, he's saying, this Jesus is overflowing. He is the very embodiment. He is the manifestation in the flesh of God's love and faithfulness. And, and just, just think about John. One of Jesus' closest disciples, and this thing of God's love was central to his gospel. It's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in John's gospel. It's everywhere in his later New Testament letters. His, the letters that we have in the New Testament written by him all focus around this thing of God's love. Multiple times, actually, John makes it clear that God showed his love most clearly in sending Jesus into this world. It's like John really, really wants us to see that Jesus is the very manifestation of Hased and he meant to us. You know, when you, when you, when you read Jesus' discourse there in John 14 to 17, the focus on love is just, it's everywhere. It's, it's so evident. Jesus speaks of the Father's love for him and his love for the disciples. He says in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Okay, do we, do we, like we hear those words, but do, you, do we grasp the depth of that? As the Father has loved me, as God the Father has loved Jesus, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus then, he connects our obedience to his ways as evidence of our love for him. And, and then he connects and he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments that your joy, my joy, will be in you and that your joy may be full. So he connects obedience to his love to joy. In fact, in the last part of John 17, Jesus prays for all those who believe in him. That last bit of John 17 is really Jesus praying for you. He's, he's praying for us there. He says he prays for all those who will come to believe in him. And, and in that prayer, so in the prayer that he's praying over us, Jesus speaks of the love that the Father has for him being the same love that he has for us. 
That's, that's mind-blowing. That's, that's like stop you in your tracks. Did, did, is that really what this verse says? Jesus says that this actually was the reason that he made the Father known to us. So that we would know his love. So, in Mark 10, there's this account of the, the rich, well, some, some people call it the rich young man, but the, the man who's wealthy, who comes to Jesus, and he asks him, he says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And through the course of the conversation, the man reveals, and, and Jesus agrees with him, that he's kept all the commandments. I mean, this, this is a good guy. Like, this is, this is the type of guy that we would want in our church. This is the type of guy that, like, he checks the boxes. He's a, he's a, he's a stand-up guy. He's, he's obedient to God. He's, he's successful. He's put together. He's, he's everything that we look at and go, that's a good Christian. And yet, Jesus says to him, he says, there's, there's one thing that you lack. Because Jesus realized that for that guy... And this, this isn't like a widespread brush for everyone, but for that guy in that circumstance, what was holding him back was his stuff, his wealth. He could not let go of his wealth. And, and, and Jesus, what he says, it, it alludes to the fact that this is hindering him from actually following him. So Jesus says, you, you've, you've got to go sell it all. You've got to, you've got to let that go in order to follow me. And it says that he went away sad because he, he couldn't let go. He, he, he could not get to that point. But what struck me in the middle of that conversation wasn't amidst all those details. Is This, this is not a guy that is responding to Jesus. He's, he's, actually, he's, not, he's not walking in obedience to Jesus. He's not being responsive to what Jesus is calling him to. And yet it says that Jesus looked at him and it says he loved him. It's one of those striking little details in the midst of the story. It says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. You know, we, we have, there's, amidst all the accounts that Jesus, of Jesus healing people, of Jesus meeting people, of Jesus touching people, you know, you don't hear Every account doesn't say, and Jesus loved them. And Jesus, it, it doesn't add that detail into every account. That would probably get a little bit weird if it did. We'd probably, that's, it doesn't say that. But, but by Jesus' actions, we can see the love that he's extending to people. And you know, it's, it's profound because what it reveals is that Jesus really loved people people who didn't follow him, people that didn't respond the same way in return. And Jesus loved them. It was, it was this love that led Jesus into this world, that, that led him to take on the very nature of a servant, that led him to be obedient to death on a cross in order to free us. And so that really, that leads us then to the last reason why we can believe that nothing can separate us from God's love. And that is because God is really, really for you. Like, 
God is really, really for you. Like, completely. There's, there is nothing held back. God is really, really for you. Look, look to the person beside you. I want, I, I'm just, this is, if, if, you, if you're able to, look to the person beside you and say, God is really for you. This is good. God is really for you. Okay, like, we need, we need to hear this at times. God is really, really for us. So in Romans 8.28, it says that God is working for the good of all who love him. Not, he's not, it doesn't say that in Romans 8.28 that all things will be good. It says that in, in all things, he's working for our good to what? To conform us to the image of his son. He's, so God is working in all things to make you more like Jesus. That, that, is, that is God's desire for us, to make us more like Jesus. And Romans 8.31 then, on the heels of that, asks, what shall we say in response to this? So Paul's asking a bit of a rhetorical question there. And he says, if God is for us, what is he, what's the next part? Who who can be against us? That, so that's, and he says, like, who? And he, and he goes on to say then, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there, is there anything that can separate you from God's love? Anything. Like, like do you, is there something that you think, you know, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure. This, this might separate me from God's love. Now, Again, we have to put some, some stuff here. We have to make some stuff clear. This isn't the promise of the good life. This isn't the promise of like, everything's going to go well. That, that's not what Romans 8 is. It's also not universalism. This is not preaching universalism. This, this is dependent on our relationship with Jesus. It's, it's dependent on us living by the Spirit, right? It's it walk by the Spirit. It's, it's put, to, put to death the things of the flesh. So this, it's dependent on that. But it's clear here that as a result of following Jesus, we're going to face hard things. Like this, the list in, in Romans 8, and you can turn there if you want, this is not a list that we openly embrace. Okay, we're not, we're not, if we're being honest, we're not reading the end of Romans 8 and going, bring this on. We're, we're not. Okay, this is, what, this is what Paul says there. He says, what, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's, that's not a list that we're openly like, bring this on tomorrow. In, he, in fact, Paul goes on, the next verse he quotes there is out of Psalm 44. And you know what that verse is, talks about? Sheep being slaughtered. He's like, we're like sheep being slaughtered. This is, this is not fun times. The, the point of the list is, and, and because it's an extreme list, the point is this, that nothing can separate you from God's love. He's, he's drawing on the breadth of what could happen, and he's saying, whatever happens, nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, he says, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The point that we see here, God is really for us. 
Like he's really for us. His, his love and faithfulness are far deeper than we could ever, ever know. Now, these last, well now it's, it's over two and a half years. I keep saying two and a half years, but it's getting even longer than that. These last almost three years have been really, really brutal for, for most of us in a variety of different ways. They've been very, very difficult years. And people, and we are recovering in so many ways. And, and like I said before, the world feels different. Like, like personally, the last, this, this season have been the most difficult years of my entire adult life, for sure. There has not been a time in my adult life that's been more difficult than the last almost three years. And, it's, and it's, for me, it's difficult to even articulate the extent of that, how, how brutal it's been for me. And I, and I wonder how many of us, if, if we're honest, have really struggled to believe in God's love and faithfulness amidst this, or maybe amidst other situations and circumstances that we've had to walk through. Because it's not just all these last few years. And you know, in that, Satan loves to come alongside and he loves to whisper to us, is God really for you? It's, it's, it's the same question that Satan has always been asking. Did God really say? Did God, did God really say? Like, did he really say that he loves you? Do, do, you really, do you really believe that God loves you? Do you, do you really believe that you think that's true? Look at, look at your life. Look at these circumstances. Look at this. Look at how this person's treated you. Look at how that person's treated you. Look at how this situation's gone. Look at how that circumstance is gone. You really think God loves you? That's exactly what Satan loves to do. And so we're battling this. And because we're conditioned to think of love in terms of our feelings and emotions, when, because we are, our, our, our culture conditions us to think of love completely in regards to feelings and emotions. And so when we're feeling this way and we're struggling in areas, it's common that questions and doubts about God's goodness begins to creep in. Now, this is where we have to go back and go, what is the basis for Paul's confidence in Romans 8? Because he's writing here with a confidence and with an assurance that is staggering. And what is his basis for that? And it's this. That God didn't hold anything back to extend his love and his faithfulness. There wasn't one bit that God wasn't willing to go. He went the entire way. Paul says, he did not spare his own son. God, there was, there was not a limit that God had. That he said, no, this is my limit. I won't go beyond this to extend my hesed and my amet to people. This is the line. No, there was no lie. He said, I will not even spare my own son. I will go the entire way so that people can know and experience my hesed and my amet. See, God's love is not like our love. 
it, it doesn't waver or change. God's love is not dependent on circumstances. God's love is at the core of his nature. It's at the very essence of who he is, and it's most clearly displayed in Jesus. And he's, it's poured into our hearts, Romans 5 says, by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured into us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies to us that we are God's children. It's another part of earlier in Romans 8, right? Where Paul's saying, the Spirit testifies to our spirit. So this the Holy Spirit working, saying, this is true. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. So here's, here's where I want to end. How are we called to respond? Because Jesus tells us to abide in his love, tells us to obey him as proof of our love for him, and we're called to be carriers of God's love to others. Jesus is actually really straightforward. He says, this is my command, command love each other. John 15, 17. We, we know what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, and the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's our neighbor? Everyone. This, this is God's heart. This, this is the very essence of God's heart for us that out of his love that he has poured into our hearts, that we would pour out that love to others around us. So I, I want to I do something here. I thought about this this week, and uh, I think it was the Holy Spirit. I want us to take a moment, and if you have to close your eyes, I know for me that's, that's always helpful. Think about a person in your life that you really struggle with. Someone that you don't like, someone that annoys you, someone that you struggle to care about, or someone that you actually have feelings of hatred for even. I want you to think about that person. As you think about that person, realize that God loves that person the same as you. That everything that applies to you, everything that we've heard this morning about God's love for us, that love that is at the very core of his being, that love that is manifested in Jesus for us, that love that is spoken of in the New Testament that says God is totally for you, that same love applies to that person or those people. That person that has so badly hurt you, that person that has so badly put wounds in your life, that person, etc., whatever it is. And our command is to love those people. I'm not, I, okay, I have to put a caveat in this. This is not advocating in any way to put up with any form of abuse. That's, that's not what this is. That's, that's, a, that's a different story if there's things of abuse and all that. But we all have those people. 
in our lives that we struggle with, those, those people that, truth be told, we'd probably rather not be around. You know, it caught us off guard yesterday. Jess and I were in the city together. We were doing some shopping, and we actually hadn't been out together, just the, the two of us, in quite a while. And so we were just kind of enjoying our time together, and we were standing in line at Starbucks, and we were looking at some Starbucks stuff on the wall, and, and we were sort of in line, but sort of not. And then this lady looks, is, is beside us all of a sudden, and she says, oh, she says, did I, did I cut you in line? And we're like, oh. No, like, don't worry about it. We're like, it's all, it's fine. Like I said, we're like, no, go ahead. Like, we were just kind of looking at stuff here on the wall. And, and, and then we just kept sort of interacting with one another. And, and after we were standing off to the side waiting for our drinks, and she looks at us and she says, I, I think she said, she says, I hope that, that you receive all the positive energy that you just displayed to me. <laughs> and the, the way she said it, it was like, oh, that's an interesting way of saying it. She's like, you too. She's like, I just, you, that was, she's like, you just really, really blessed me. And something to that effect, I think, right? And, and, and we were kind of taken aback by this. And, and in that moment, like I had a choice to kind of, I, 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 it was like that split second moment where I had the moment to say, oh, thank you, great, have a nice day. Or, and I said, you know, I, I, w- I want to tell you that this is really, this is because of Jesus. Like I said, this is not because of us. This, this is Jesus, and I hope that you see Jesus in this. And that led to another bit of an inter- a really interesting conversation with her. I, I actually went away thinking about that. You know what, I actually regret that I didn't say one thing. I wished I also would have said and, and conveyed to her, God really, really loves you. Because that was our heart for her in that moment. Our heart was that she would really, really, really encounter God's love. And I wished I would have verbalized that. Like intentionally verbalized that to her. It struck me, for the rest of our time out yesterday, I was struck with, as we were encountering people, and I was encountering, and you know what? Yesterday, this time of year is a perfect time to encounter people who are annoyed, who are frazzled, who are whatever, right? And I was thinking for the rest of our time as we were outgoing, how can I encounter people in a way that leaves them blessed like that? Like it actually made me think more intentionally. So I want to I end by just... I think it's sometimes it's helpful to give some application. Again, the reason of this is just giving us opportunities to pray and listen to Jesus, to journal about it on our own. So I've got four questions here that I want to, you can um, go away with if you'd like. One, are there areas of my life where I struggle to believe in God's love and faithfulness towards me? Where, why might that be? Two, where do I desire to experience more of God's love in my life, specific situations or circumstances? Number three, are there areas where I struggle to believe God is really for me? 
And am I sharing that with Jesus? Am I, di- am I dialoguing that with the Lord? Am I, am I sharing that with him? And fourth, where do I have room to grow in walking in love towards others? What specific person is God calling me to walk in love towards? And I'll even add this week, but beyond. You know, God, God wants us. Jen, you can come up. God, God wants us to encounter his love. God's heart is that we would know his love. He speaks of it over and over and over and over again in Scripture. It's, it is, it's everywhere. It's God's heart for us. And he so longs that we would be those vessels on this earth that pour out that love to others. Why don't we end and let's, let's pray together and let's invite the Lord to work in this. Father, I want to thank you that you were so clear in revealing who you are. God, that you, you didn't leave it open to interpretation, that you have been so clear throughout all of history in who you are and the very essence of who you are in your character and that you are love. Jesus, thank you that you came to show us the Father, that that was your intention, that you came to show us the very nature of who the Father was and what he was like. As you said, Jesus, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. God, we are so, so grateful for your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you pour out the love of God into us. God, that we, we're, we're so thankful that we, we have the same access as Moses. That where it says that Moses spoke to you as a friend face to face, that we have the same access that you invite us into the same relationship but there is nothing holding us back there's nothing there's no blockages that we're invited to draw near so Jesus we want to draw near help us to draw near God I pray that where we are struggling to receive your love and your faithfulness where we are struggling to see that in our lives. There's situations and circumstances, Lord, that are just really tough. God, would you pour your said and amet into us? Would you reveal that to us in these days in ways that are so extraordinary? God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you that there's no limit to that love. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you.